0: Radioinfluence.com.
1: Welcome in to the July 27th, 2022 edition of the MMA Report Podcast with Dan Galvon. I am Jason Floyd. It is UFC 277. Fight week goes down on Saturday. Inside Dallas. Daniel, by the way, I was almost going to be in Dallas this weekend for the fights.
0: Dude, why? Why were you almost going to be in Dallas? DraftKings. Oh my God. I, I seriously thought about going. I mean, my birthday is next week, so I was like, this could be a good birthday activity.
1: I, I, I will tell you this. So it, it it got presented to me and just I couldn't make it work because it, it's the start of football season, man. Life's a little crazy for me at this point. And uh, I was like, and my thought was like, I was obviously initially I was going to take my wife. Sorry, Daniel, but she she takes priority. I understand. And, uh, I understand. and then I was like, hey, if she doesn't want to go I, go, I wonder how far of a drive it is from the Rio Grande Dallas. And I looked, yeah, Texas is goddamn big, bro.
0: Oh, yeah. It's, uh, I mean, I made that drive to work a WrestleMania weekend event and it was a, you know, it's a it's like nine hour drive. But I, I seriously thought about it. I mean, for me, the reason why I didn't pull the trigger, I probably would have taken a flight and did a hotel just for shits and giggles. Usually in, in wrestling, I just go and I come back the same night. But UFC's a long night, probably would need a hotel. But man, the uh, prices for the tickets were just too expensive. That was a big turnoff. And I know. For good reason, right? It's the hottest ticket in town. The UFC ticket prices are high in general, but I was like, I can't put down a money, a ticket for me and my girlfriend. I'm going to be down $500. We're going to Disney in, you know, six weeks. But I really do think, Jason. One of these UFC pay-per-views in Texas, I will make it out. And you know, if you can too, that'd be great. But uh, yeah, maybe maybe we'll get lucky in one of these years. Tampa Bay will be playing in Dallas or be playing in Houston, and it'll coincide with the Saturday UFC pay-per-view.
1: The flights to me were were kind of ridiculous. So you would think Tampa and Dallas would not be that expensive, but yeah, man, um, flights are
0: bad. Flights are bad right now, dude. I can't imagine what it's like for uh, UFC fighters having to pay for flights for their corner for their team. I mean, that's a big expense. And, uh, you know, for some of these fighters that are making, you know, the minimum wage in the UFC. Oh, God, that's a big chunk out of that pay they're already getting. They better get a fight of the night bonus or a finish bonus.
1: Yeah, I was like, I, for some crazy reason, I thought about this the other day. Like, if you were running UFC travel, when do you start buying plane tickets? Because, you know, fighters are going. there's going to be fires who don't make it the fight night or fight week. I know. It's,
0: yeah, yeah, that's a good call. That's a good call. What, I, there's, they've got to have a great relationship with airlines
1: yeah. over
0: time to get good deals, to exchange tickets that are canceled, etc. But yeah, uh, that'd be a good person to interview—the person who's in charge of travel. And I guarantee you, it's more than one person with the amount of fight cards they got going on. I mean, that is an incredibly difficult job. The people maybe they got to coordinate every UFC event. Now we have the Contender Series coming along. You know. I'm sure the UFC flies in fighters who are in attendance. I'm sure some of them do their own thing, but you know, there are so many people. It's a traveling circus, you know, even for an England event. You see Yoani on J Chicks is out there and so many different fighters for a fight night event. It's a, It's a traveling circus.
1: It's interesting you kind of uh, bring up the contender series. As we're recording this show, contender series starts in about forty minutes from now. By the way, you talk about um, potential WTF stories of the week. Yeah, I don't care about. about- <laughs> dude, missing weight by a weight class, like <sighs> they can't even <laughs> legally put
0: on the fight. It's not even up to the promoter. It's the commission stepping in because the dude misses
1: ten pounds plus. Right. I mean, dude, how do you step on the scale when you know you're ten pounds over?
0: You just say you're sick. You just got to say you are sick.
1: I think you got to
0: say you got to say you're on your period. Even if you're a guy, you just got to say that's what happened. I don't know, man. Uh, Yeah. There's got to be a good reason for why he missed weight.
1: I think I saw something like uh, earlier today that he was cutting 36 pounds to make weight. I'm like, as far as I know, it wasn't a short-nosed fight. So I'm like, bro, what have you been doing in camp?
0: Yeah. What's the what was the weight class? Remember? Was it was it a Walter weight? Or I feel like it was heavier than lightweight, but maybe it was featherweight. I don't recall.
1: Uh, what was it? I, I, I saw it in like my, fir- like my initial thought was like, you, you talk about these, these great opportunities that fighters have. And like, you're going on the contender series, like to miss weight for the contender series. Like, man, like how do you ever get another shot in the UFC after you miss weight by 10 pounds on the contender series?
0: Yeah, you just gotta have a good excuse, my man. You gotta have a good excuse, or just continue to kill it on the regional MMA scene because, you know, that's just a, it's a de- terrible look, especially week one. You actually so, put out a nice. Go ahead.
1: So it was uh, William Souza. It was for a a bantamweight matchup, and he came in at one forty six.
0: Aye, yeah yeah. So it was bantamweight. Yeah yeah, and, and yeah, poor William Souza. So oh, it's going to be a four fight card this first week. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. The UFC put out a nice little video highlighting the main eventers on, uh, uh, Dennis bazooka who's competed on the ultimate, on the contender series before lost, but he said he, uh, he was really sick for a long time and apparently he was still feeling those effects and he's recovered. So he's, he's the favorite here against Kalio Romero. So, you know, uh, will we talk about it next week? I'm not sure if something super crazy happens, we probably will. But it's good to have the contender series back in my life. It's going to be nice on my lunch break to tune in uh, and, and start watching it. I'm assuming that they have the same broadcast crew. Uh, you know, Laura Senko is awesome to see her continue to get opportunities. Hopefully, one day she gets on a fight night sooner rather than later. She certainly deserves it. But I'm looking forward to it back in my life, man. I'm feeling good about the MMA world, dude. Like I loved this past weekend. I watched so much MMA, Jason. I watched the UFC, I watched freaking Bellator, I-, I checked out Dalton, Rosta, and Cotton. You know, I watched that fight after listening to your interview. Bro, I even saw the the main event for 1FC, this dude, uh, Rainier Ritter inverted triangle choke submission. Oh my gosh, this guy's undefeated, phenomenal grappler. People know who he is, obviously, would love to see him in the UFC, but damn, there is so much MMA in this world, and uh, I'm loving it, bro. And I'm excited for this weekend, holy crap, what a main event.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, first off, before we kind of get into UFC two seventy seven, you know, talk about takeaways. Uh, I talked about a little bit on the on the Sunday podcast, you know, the the Jason Jackson fight on on Friday. I mean, like, look from a from a fighter's perspective, I understand. I get you, bro. Honestly, honestly thinking about it, oh, was that Ben Askren in there? Look, I get you. I get, and look, as a fan, as a guy who was sitting on his couch on Friday night, yeah, that fight sucked. Like, that was not an entertaining fight. And, like, I know there's people that will say, oh, this is mixed martial arts. And, look, I don't mind watching ground fighting. That just was not exciting. Even when when Scott Coker basically comes out after, in fact, goes, yeah, that was not exactly the most exciting fight. Like, from a fighter's aspect, I understand why Jason Jackson went out there with the game plan he did. It's, It's just unfortunate to me the fact of... The rest of that fight card was great. I mean, you could just go top to bottom. I mean, the very first fight of the night, Archie Colgan, great prospect. He looked absolutely amazing. Rowan Feraldo just absolutely styled on his opponent, man. I, I hope we see Rowan Feraldo get someone inside that top 10. Um, you know, you look at uh, you know, the Dalton Ross Romero Cotton matchup. You really just saw... Two guys who have a wrestling base. Obviously, Romero Cotton was the more accomplished collegiate wrestler, but the striking was just a difference in that. And Dalton Rasta keeping the final feet. Dalton Rasta looked absolutely amazing. Usman Nurmagomedov looked just, I mean, you see the talent level with Usman. uh, Musayev, what he did to Sydney Outlaw. Personally, I believe that Musayev should get uh, Patrikhi Pitbull next Hearing some things that maybe it's going to be Usman. Here, here's my problem with Usman. Super talented guy, no question about it. Hasn't fought anybody in the top ten in Bellator.
0: Yeah, you're right. He hasn't. It's it's a difficult thing because he looks so dominant in these fights that it's kind of similar to the Islam Makhachev thing, where you know Islam Makhachev hasn't fought a whole lot of top fifteen guys, <laughs> but just watching him fight. You know he can hang with anyone in the weight class. And I get that feeling with Nurmaga Madoff where he can hang with anyone at lightweight, especially because lightweight really, to be frank, is shallow right now in Bellator. There aren't a lot of great names at lightweight. I mean, we have a guy in, in Two Feet, Messiah who's clearly showed he's one of those great names, clearly probably deserves that fight, especially given that they had a great fight, him and Petriki earlier. Um, But there isn't a lot of great lightweight names. There's no one in this lightweight class where you told me if Usman is mashed up with him, that I'm picking the guy against Usman. I'm picking up against everyone in this weight class, including the champion. So I I get why maybe you want to hot shot him. I would love to see him in another fight, though, just to just to continue to validate that at least somebody with a digit next to their name.
1: What I would do if I was Scott Coker and Mike Kogan is I would do the Musayev and Pitbull rematch just because of the built-in storyline there. And then I would do Usman against Alexander Shalby, who's coming off that great win against Brent Premise. Like if I was matching that division, that's how I would do it.
0: That's great. And put him on the same night, man, because I tell you what, both Nurmagomedov and Musayev phenomenal performances, bro. I mean, the way Nurmagomedov just so quickly and forcefully transitioning that guillotine choke off of the, the wrestle battle between him and Chris Gonzalez. It was just, it was beautiful, my man. And Tufik Masai, bro, this guy's punching power. Dude, I love watching this guy fight. If Bellator is able to get this guy continually fighting for them, oh, he, he's, he's, a, he's one of those must-watch guys. I mean, they really made the main card pop because the main card obviously had the Lorenz Larkin fight that went to a no contest after the elbow to the back of the head. That was a Debbie Downer. Um, but those fights, along with that opener, which is pretty awesome, the uh, Marcelo Gomes-Davian Franklin fight, yep. it's an awesome fight, bro. Franklin was just throwing this dude around <laughs> like it was a professional wrestling match. <laughs> Unfortunately, it caught up to him in round three. He got a little tired. Marcelo Gome was able to kind of use his veteran experience. But, man, it was a good main card, bro. The, the other thing I mentioned on the prelims would be one, Ahmed Magomedov, who just undefeated, I believe he's from Dag- a Dagestani fighter, Easy. First round win. And the other one is Veda Ortega. Uh, She got that sub over Vanessa Porto, and she's someone who I think Bellator needs to resign, but she is a free agent, so she has an opportunity now. She fought out the end of her deal. She has an opportunity to possibly jump to the UFC.
1: First off, the SMH moment is a whole Lorenz Larkin fight A big jaw and say, I want to What close this line. I want to cut my throat or something like that Whole Like for people who did not see that, you know, there, there's a, there is a unintentional illegal strike that Lorenz Larkis lands to the back of the head and there's this delay. And then ultimately the referee comes over. He tries to cover up his microphone and, Bellator Productions is like screw you dude we're, we're potting that thing up so we can hear what you're saying he calls over Corey Schaefer who is the VP of Regulatory Affairs for Bellator so he's Bellator's version of Mark Ratner um, he runs ISKA and he, he calls somebody over, else over which I want to say I think maybe he said Manny which I'm guessing was probably someone with the Washington State Athletic Commission <laughs> And then, but I mean Spot on analysis by John McCarthy. I mean, it was just spot on, but like you could tell that referee did not want to make that call.
0: Well, you could tell the referee didn't know what he was doing. Yeah. He, or he wasn't sure of what he was doing. That's really rude of me to say he didn't know what he was doing. He he he's he's a referee, he, he knows what he's doing. But he was he didn't want he wasn't confident. He he didn't want to make the wrong call, right? Which is in my workplace, if I don't want to make the wrong call. There's no such thing as a stupid question I can go and ask. But, bro, it just is a really bad look when you have a microphone and and, and we're all hearing it. And to quote Big John McCarthy, he said, I wrote it down right now. I'm just sitting here wanting to cut my throat. That's what he said. I can't believe he said that on air. That's amazing. But – you could tell whenever he was making the approach to the outside cage, that's exactly what he was going to ask. He was going to ask what was going to happen. And I was like, I hope the production crews got this refs back because they're going to throw him under the bus so bad. And uh, yeah, at the end of the day though, it is on him. It, yes. You want to, if you, if you, if you aren't sure about something, sure, make sure you know the right answer, but he should have never been unsure. Yeah. He should have known and set the authority and set the tone and not outlat not allowed outside interference outside input to impact the direct results of this right what if that person and I'm you know and Schaefer doesn't obviously what if that person is just a big fan of uh, of of Larkin's opponent right <laughs> he gives him the DQ win yeah so but, it's a tough look for the referee
1: like, this is just my pure speculation. And, and, you know, this is, you know, I always feel like the director back in the truck is screaming to the audio guy. Hey, pot that up, man. I don't care. I don't care that referee's trying to cover red mic. We got to hear what he says. Yeah. And if you're a
0: referee, I'm like, no, you're not allowed to make me up. And I'm sure they're like, okay, we'll get another referee. You won't work this event. So they probably don't have any leverage. But if I'm a referee, I would hate the microphone. I would ask, is there any way I can turn this off, you know, when I want to? And I'm sure they're going to say hell no. This is going to be on the whole time. But if I'm personally a referee, I hate the microphone and I need to be aware of it. And if I have an ability to mute myself, that is something I am like learning. Okay. I don't know if referees have that ability to mute themselves. But they should, if they do, they should learn when they can and can't do that.
1: You, you got to learn where that wire is connected to and unplug it. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't even
0: ask. Don't even ask. You're right. Don't even ask. Unplug it because guess what? You can. You can literally unplug it. You can turn the lavalier mic off, whatever mic they're using. Yeah. If for referees, if you want consulting work, contact me and Jason. We will get you out of a pinch. Because the guys broadcasting you will not. They want a good product, and they got one.
1: No, if you're really smart, okay, and th- this is going way inside Broadcasting 101 here, but if you knew how to change the frequency, uh huh, then um, they wouldn't have you.
0: Yeah, and they would be like, there's some technical issue, and, and you're the referee. <laughs> you're like, I don't know what's happening. I've never seen this device before. Yeah.
1: And then the Magic Answer fights over, they're like, son of a bitch that dude changed the frequency on us
0: exactly (laughs) we got to go to the abc meeting and 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 give them some consulting services our own presentation
1: you know the uh, and this is the final thing about bellator and and this is kind of the the comedy moment of this is during it was after the first round of uh of davion franklin and Marcelo Gome and where they finally bring in the doctor to look at the cut that was above the eyebrow of Marcel So go and like, he's opening it up and I'm like, Oh, this fight's over. And you talk about a doctor who clearly did not want to make a decision either. I'm yeah. like, okay. Like if this is Texas, Florida and they're good, but I'm sitting there going, that was a deep ass cut. And it's just like, and you can just tell like the doctors get a referee like, Hey, you want to call this? And then the ref's like, Hey, can you fight? Yeah. All right, let's go. Yeah, yeah,
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, and hey, it paid off for Marcelo. If that fight was caught, he'd get to lose his purse, but he got the winner's purse and moves up the rankings. I guess my last point is, even though the main event was boring as hell, shout out to Jason Jackson, he clearly beat Douglas Lima, clearly the better fighter, utilized his wrestling and what tools he had in his toolbox to get that victory moving forward. Without a doubt, it's Jason Jackson versus Logan Storley which sounds like an awful fight. But that's got to be what's next at welterweight as we wait for Yardislav Amasov to return.
1: Well, Scott Coker talked about after it. They actually just put in a visa application for Amosoff and his family. Amosoff is back training in Germany uh, to come into the United States, and so uh, that interim title, you know, potentially maybe it's going to take place later this year. So Scott, they
0: might do. They might just do Amosoff Storley then,
1: huh? Yeah, yeah. Amosoff Storley, which also becomes interesting thing is Storley and Jason Jackson training uh, with each other down there at oh, Kilcliffe crap. FC, formerly known as Stanford MMA.
0: Oh, so they won't even
1: fight.
0: My bad. They won't even. Uh,
1: fight. Well. Or they might. I, kinda, I mean, the way Jason Jackson's talking, it seems like he he doesn't care who's got the title. He, he wants that strap. I mean. Okay. But, um, Good Good what deal. In terms of uh Saturday, you know, here's one of my under-the-radar ta- takeaways from UFC London. Okay. And it goes back to the Jai Herbert fight. Tremendous analysis by Michael Bisbee and Paul Felder during that fight, especially during the first round, where of course prior to this matchup, Jai Herbert had a vicious knockout defeat. And it was it was great to kind of hear two former fighters talking about the mental side of coming back from that. And I think that I I love the combination of Paul Felder and Michael Bisping together. I thought they, you know, Paul Felder, I basically throughout the broadcast is like, Hey, Bisping, you want to give us your GSB impersonation. But
0: like
1: during that fight, I just thought it was great. The fact that, you know, they were really just kind of explaining the mental mindset of having to come back after you get knocked out cold.
0: Yeah, that was a really good analysis. And that was the first fight. And, yeah, you know, that's a good takeaway. This commentary trio is the best, my favorite trio, including including Wooden. I mean, the, the they, they are so much fun to listen to. And it it's Bisping and Felder together are, are the best color guys to, to intermingle with one another, without a doubt. Because they have phenomenal technical analysis. One, they have a great sense of humor and rapport with another two. And three, they aren't afraid to call people out on BS. Yeah. I believe it was Jonathan Pierce and Makwan Amir I believe it was this fight where Pierce was kind of on top. Eventually, he won the fight in the second round. I believe this was in the second round. But as Amir is trying to scramble out from bottom, Pierce grabs the cage. And that allowed him to maintain top control. Eventually, I believe these two guys did eventually get up before Pierce got back down, so it didn't directly lead to the finish. But they called it out, and it was actually something that I missed. So, yeah, I mean, th- these guys aren't afraid to call things out, and I thoroughly enjoy it. But I freaking hate the fence grab.
1: By the way, I, I, I'm with you. I love the, the combination of Felder. I hate the combination we have on Saturday. Love John Anakin as a play-by-play announcer. I hate Rogan and DC together.
0: Yeah, why do you hate him?
1: I just feel like you, you don't get the best Daniel Cormier. Yeah, it becomes like Cormier trying to be a comedian.
0: Yeah, I get you. I get you. I'm just. Yeah. I'm
1: not. I'm not. I'm just not a fan of those two together. I, I feel like DC is a much better color commentator when he's not with Joe Rogan.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think, I think Paul Felder makes everyone a better color commentator. I really do, and also Bisping. But yeah, I agree with you. Um, at some point in time. At some point in time, Bisping and Felder might just be the pay-per-view guys. If they continue to stick around, I, I think that might be the case, or maybe Bisping and Anthony Smith one day. But yeah, man. In, in terms of UFC London, Jason, I mean, what was your big takeaways from from this event?
1: Second straight UFC headlining fight where we have a fight in due to injury. Hopefully, it's something that uh, Tom Aswell is able to recover with. DC urging Alexander Gustafsson to retire, where he he wrote on this on on Twitter. Gustafson is done. He needs to walk away. These shots are hard, but he's used to eat those. The chin is gone. Walk away. My friend, we all have an expiration date. One of the best to not have had a title. When I saw that tweet, Daniel, why not text that or call Gustafson and give your opinion as opposed to putting that in a public forum?
0: Yeah, I I get it. I get it. Especially because he surely has his ability to talk to him, but it is a thing we talk about. We do. And he is a broadcaster. You know, But we do talk about guys that need to retire. But, yeah, if you're Alexander Gustafsson and you read that on Twitter, you're like, what the hell? You know, Especially for a guy who already has retired. Um,
1: and, and if you go to that tweet, the one of the interesting responses is, is actually from Chris Cyborg, where she wrote, I know he fought for the title multiple times, but I have to wonder if he's earned enough to financially retire. It's yeah. a great point.
0: Yeah. and And you would think, though, that for him, he has the ability to possibly, you know, front a gym in his home country. You know, he's he's gotta be a legend. So there's gotta be other ways to make money, but that is a great point. And and I do think if you look at the list of champions in the history of this promotion, it would be a surprising amount of how many of them aren't maybe doing financially well. Right. But if you wanna do financially well, you gotta watch UFC London, you gotta get your notebook and you gotta take some notes because you need to pay attention to what the hell Patty Pimblett and Molly McCann are doing, Jason. I mean, you have guys like Muhammad Mikhayev, who looks like the future of this promotion, kind of talking about Patty. And it's more, it, it seems more personal than anything else, but maybe talking about things he's getting that's undeserved, et cetera. Yeah. But Patty Pimblett deserves everything he's getting. The atmosphere of this freaking crowd, after Jordan Levin makes his entrance, you get the full blackout. And the patty, the batty chance. You cannot re- replicate that anywhere on this UFC roster except for Conor McGregor. The atmosphere, patty the patty Pimblett is not getting paid enough. He's not being featured enough. He deserves everything he's getting because he has created a phenomenal show. A phenomenal yeah. show. He has the best entrance in the sports history, in my opinion. I get goosebumps and he's fighting Jordan Levitt and I'm getting goosebumps.
1: His trajectory at 155 pounds, I don't think has really changed for me in terms of you have to match him up correctly. You, you have to kind of in a way do the Sean O'Malley bill with him because like there are, you know, there may be more questions I have about Patty Pimblet following UFC London than I had before. You know, probably the the biggest question I had before was what I perceive as some defensive liabilities in terms of striking defense. Now I have a ton of concerns about his wrestling defense because, like, you know, obviously there's going to be people that will want to rush him into matchups. What, like, You start looking at the lower top 10. What does Armin Sarukian do to him right now? What what does Matthias Gamrot do to him right now? They wrestle F him. And it's, you know, but like to me, it's about giving him the right matchups. And to this point, the UFC is giving him the right matchups. The UFC is giving Molly McCann the right matchups. Do I think Molly McCann has top five potential? Currently, I say no. But you watch her fight and you watch how that interaction with the crowd, all that. She looks like an absolute star.
0: I will say her hands look pretty damn good,
1: <laughs> dude.
0: When she when she gets a person against the cage, bro, the viciousness on her spinning back strikes in, in in a weight class where there aren't a lot of finishes on the feet. Molly McCann's striking power puts herself in a position to do really well against straw, uh against f- uh, fight flyweights who aren't going to wrestle her down. She, in a, in a,
1: where her issue is going to be is she's a smaller flyweight. Yeah. Like, for instance, if she were to somehow get a fight against Valentin Shevchenko in point, Shevchenko's nearly got a five-inch reach advantage on her. Yeah,
0: but that's that's going to be the fight that I think the UFC's going to want to hot shot her, too. I mean, if you're the UFC, you got to look at how can we get Molly to take on Shevchenko in two fights. And, and I think, you know, you immediately have to give her someone who's ranked. Because the thing is, Molly McCann versus Shevchenko now replaces me, the Amisha Tate-Chevchenko fight as the biggest possible fight you can do at flyweight in the women's division, in my opinion. If Molly wins two more fights and she gets a championship fight, that's a bigger fight than anybody in the top 15 taking on Chevchenko, except for Amanda Rebus or maybe Macy Barber, in, in my opinion.
1: I mean, look, you know, in terms of... The only notable competition that Molly McCann has fought in the UFC would be Thalia Santos, and she lost her via decision.
0: Yeah, and, and that, that was
1: it. and that was all the way back in 2020.
0: Yeah, so I mean, she's not a favorite to, to make there, but the UFC, much like a Paddy Pimblet, they've got to take care of them yeah. because at the end of the day, you look at this fight card, and, and that was special, so they got to take care of it. They got to continue to fight in England, and Patty Pimblet, looking at his fight, you're right to mention his wrestling defense is just bad in terms of being able to escape being controlled against the cage. He was not able to do that for long periods of time against Jordan Levitt. That's a problem because there are a lot of these guys, a lightweight, that are going to do a whole lot more damage with their wrestling. When it comes to getting on top and landing offensive strikes, what Patty showed here though, was he's a slick, slick, smart grappler. The way he was able to trap Jordan Levitt's arm in that body triangle, reminiscent of BJ Penn and Jen's pulver. Great call by the commentary crew. Uh, it, it was uh, it was beautiful, beautiful renegade you know choke. So the thing about Patty is when he does get put on his back, you do got to love his grappling game.
1: By the way, you mentioned uh, two true-false questions to me. One involves Patty, other involves Mikhaev. We'll start with Patty. True-false, Connor versus Patty happens, that's a false for me. You don't think so? Oh,
0: no, no way. Why not?
1: First off, it would take a long time for Patty Pimble to get there. And if you told me Patty Pimble, Conor McGregor fights right now, I think Conor McGregor starches him inside seven minutes.
0: Yeah, I think absolutely Conor deserves the. I mean, on the mm-hmm. feet, it's a different ball game. I mean, he's just got outright power, and better striker. Uh, Patty's takedown offense, I haven't seen a whole lot of it yet. So you are right in that matchup. But, you know, Conor's towards the end of his career if he loses his return fight, it's a whole lot of losses in a row. I mean, this guy's ranked 11th in the lightweight class.
1: I'm telling you, the more and more I think about it, I think the right fight to make is him versus Dan hooker.
0: Oh yeah. That's a phenomenal fight.
1: Like that is like a get right fight for Conor McGregor.
0: Absolutely. I think that's a great fight for him to make. And, uh, I don't think it's going to happen. He's probably just going to fight the champion.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no. I, yeah. I think you're the other true false is Muhammad Makaya becomes youngest champion. I say false just because I really wonder about what happens when he can't use his grappling and he has to strike. Yeah, I agree.
0: But there, are, the thing is, I agree with that, but I'm going to go true on this one. Um, he's got like two years to do it. He's got a really astonishing amateur resume. Mm-hmm. He comes across like a special fighter. He's going to continue to get bigger and stronger. He's 21 years old. His wrestling is really freaking good. Charles Johnson, who he went up against, is a pretty damn good defensive wrestler and a tough guy from Tiger Muay Thai at times. I, was, I watched him on a Tiger Muay Thai documentary that I've been watching, really good documentary. I don't know what the hell going on with Charles' hair. But other than that, <laughs>
1: that, that was a t- I, uh, I was watching the fights live, and uh, that was definitely the talk on uh, MMA Twitter. Is what is up with his hair?
0: And also, what the hell is up with Charles Rose's chest? His chest, his chest was completely red, like he'd been shocked by Ric Flair. <laughs> and I was like, what the hell? Oh, yeah, there's a lot of what the hells. But honestly, I could see Makayev doing it. Flyweight's really good at the top, man. I mean, Askarov, Pantoja, Roy Val, uh, the guys that are fine on Saturday. Figueroa might be a weight in two years or maybe a year, but uh, flyweight class is nothing to mess with, but there's a lot of guys in this division. That I think Mokai going to come in and just completely throw around.
1: Yeah I, I mean, think,
0: yeah. I think he's a special athlete, bro.
1: The other part of that, you know, is you mentioned about it. he's got two years to do it is you got to stay healthy.
0: Yeah, also there's got to be championship fights. <laughs>
1: we <laughs> yeah, haven't seen a lot of them.
0: We haven't seen a lot of flyweight championship fights in the past
1: few years. Yeah, you, you don't want these interim titles that, that just kind of delay uh, new guys getting that title matchup. But, uh, of course, uh, UFC 277 is on Saturday there in Dallas. Of course, headlined by the rematch between Juliana Pena and Amanda Nunez. And, of course, that interim flyweight title matchup between Bram Moreno and Car France. I want to start, uh, as we get into this preview, start a little fun topic and so to give you a little backstory, I'm sitting there and so I'm, I'm working on lining up an interview with uh, Dustin Kobe, who's just coming off that great win there at UFC Long Island. And, and I know how much of a, a golfer he is. And so I was thinking about, you know, maybe, you know fun topics to bring out with him. And one of the things I, I brought up is knowing how much he loves golf is like, what would his bucket list foursome be? So then it just kind of made me think about, you can have three people over. To watch the fights on Saturday. They got to be in the MMA community. Who are you inviting over?
0: Okay. So, I don't know if this guy counts. All right. Because he's no longer in the MMA community. But there's one person I would love to have on a couch and pick his brain. Drink some beers and get to know who he really is. It's Joe Silva. Oh, damn. That's a good one. I would love to hear about... Joe Silva, he is such a recluse, and he's one of the most important people in the history of the UFC. A guy I wouldn't include, but because he kind of fits the Joe Silva mold of prying information out of him, would have been Lorenzo Fertitta. And I just would want to figure out why he decided to sell the UFC when he did, because that was a very sudden thing. And that's something that's like – that is a story that is undercovered you know the end of the the fire, but Sova will be one of my guys on the couch.
1: Damn, that that's a great pick bro. I like that Thanks. I I wrote down a ton of names he was definitely not one of those names. Okay. So my number one choice to me is easy. Uh-huh. We know this guy's personality. We know he's a fun guy. I know he, you know I I I believe he he likes to enjoy enjoy the milk uh, the uh adult cocktails. Give me Michael Bisbig bro.
0: Oh yeah that Michael Bisping's a great pick. He really is. I mean, he does a phenomenal pot. He's got a phenomenal personality. I think about it sometimes like he's one of the most lovable guys in the UFC, but there was a point in time when he was a big time heel. <laughs> yeah. A bad guy that people booed and, and it just speaks to his personality. Michael Bisping would be a phenomenal hand. That's a great choice. My man.
1: My number two, I don't know if he's on your list. And the reason I put him on my list has to do with the co-main event. Henry Cejudo
0: oh, you're going to have to cut him off. You're going to have to cut him off. But what, what? why are you picking Henry Cejudo here?
1: Technical analysis of those two guys in the co-main event. And uh, and Henry is, is becoming, obviously, he's making his comeback. But, you know, when you hear guys talk about who work with him inside there of Fight Ready there in Arizona, I, I think from a fight analysis aspect, I think it'd be fascinating to sit there for three hours and hear how Henry Cejudo breaks down a fight.
0: Yeah, I, yeah, I, that that would be awesome to hear him. It, it's a great call. He's gonna say something. He's probably gonna be tweeting. I'm gonna go with uh, the comedy guy. Actually, who's your third pick? Who's your third pick?
1: This was a tough one for me.
0: Uh huh. Before yeah, I don't want to steal it. I go thought
1: ahead. about going Danny Sabatello.
0: Oh, I thought about him too.
1: But I I was like, oh man, if you put him and Bisbee together, yeah, that might get a little a little rough. Yeah. So I went Paul Felder.
0: Oh, that's a great pick. You got got a better broadcast crew in your living room than on air that (laughs) night. Oh, God, that's a good pick. I love it. This is what I got. Okay. So uh, this is tough. People that are not making the cut. Pat Berry, not making the cut. Thought about it. Good personality. Justin Gaethje, good personality. Not making the cut. Amanda Rebus, really liked your interviews. These should be a good personality at the party. Now we got three people, and I don't know who I'm going to cut. These three people I know are going to bring the party, are going to be entertaining. I'm going to have to cut Tai Tuivasa. It's a, it's a tough one.
1: He he, he was on my list. You know why yeah. I cut him out? Why is that? I've got carpet in my living room, bro. I know. <laughs> and I feel like, and, and look, so when we are doing my show last Saturday – People are talking about shoeies like, bro, I'm not doing a shoeie. I don't care if that shoe is straight out of the box. I'm not doing it. I feel like a tattoo of us is basically going to goat you into doing a shoeie. And then I'm going to have to explain to my wife why our carpet smells like beer.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you will 100% be doing a shoeie with him in the room. I love it. So you need a party animal. I thought about Patty Pimblet, but I'm gonna go Molly McCann. She's also a fan of Everton, my favorite soccer team. She's she's the life of the party, and I'm gonna bring her in. And then my number three, Ray Longo. I'm gonna bring in Ray oh, Longo. Yeah. I think he's gonna be hilarious. He's gonna bring the comedy. So we got Joe Silva for the information, Molly McCann for the party, and Ray Longo for the for the, the comedy.
1: I, I feel like I've got kind of I've got the analysis of Hudo, but why why do I think Cejudo pounds him back, by the way? There's something oh. that tells me. So, I mean, well, we have kind of seen some videos where, you know, he might've yeah. been a little intoxicated. Bisbing, Bisbing and Felder and me together. You know who I almost thought about picking? Who's, who? Just because I want to know what tweets he almost hit send on.
0: Uh, uh, John Jones? Yes. <laughs> yeah, it. yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. I, uh. There's also I, – I, the two people that didn't make my list that I kind of wanted was Forrest Griffin, who's my favorite fighter of all time, okay. and uh, CM Punk, who I love him as a wrestler, uh, associated with MMA. If I just wanted to get inspired, I'd probably put bring along uh, Volkanovsky and Rose Namahunas. Every time I listen to their post-fight interviews, I just want to like run through a wall and work hard and achieve everything in life. They talk so much about work ethic, and I just feel so inspired. I feel like if I have them in there, it would probably do more for me than a Tony Robbins discussion.
1: All right, who would you if you could invite one promoter over? Who would you rather have on your couch watching the fights with you? Dana White or Scott Coker?
0: Dude, it's Dana White. He's 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 a better hang.
1: Okay, I feel like Scott would be fun though. Why? I feel like you start throwing some cocktail. Scott looks like that guy who, you know, he's low key, get some cocktails in him; He might start talking.
0: Yeah. And the thing is, Scott is someone who has more stories that people don't know about than Dana. I, I feel like Dana more. would
1: be reserved. I don't know, man. Yeah. I don't unless know. he, I mean, re- unless he really knows you.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's true. I mean, I, uh, I did see him give those guys two hundred fifty thousand dollars, so I'm gonna try and be his friend and make him feel young, and and maybe he'll give me a bag of money. (laughs) Excuse me, sorry.
1: I saw he actually responded to that. (laughs) The MMA junkie headline: Dana White goes off on critics of two hundred fifty thousand dollars gift to Nuk Boys member. Mind your own effing business. Yeah, that's that's a Dana White quote.
0: Yeah, I I love it.
1: Oh, another person that I would
0: almost—I'm gonna switch her out with Molly McCann. Actually, I would go with Kayla Harrison.
1: They should be great. Oh, uh, we're gonna get into Kayla here in a second. Yeah. So here here's a quote from Dana White. Let me str- let me set this record straight. First of all, all these people on the internet can go F themselves. Okay. <laughs> I spend my money, however the F I want to spend my money. Mind your own effing business. Number two, if you look at what Kyle and the note Boys have done as far as how they're handling and a lot of other things they've done. These kids have never asked me for anything ever. They've never asked me for anything. And they couldn't be better people. Kyle has done many things for me. Believe me, the 250000 that I gave him for his birthday, it does not cover the amount of things a kid has done for me. Don't count other people's money and mind your own effing business. Hmm. Goes on to say, a lot of this is driven by that scumbag MMA media. So what happens is they act like there's that massive safe here at the UFC office. That I say fighter pay on it, and I just go in there and I grab whatever I want out of fighter pay. No, you effing pieces of s. This is money that I have actually made over my entire career, and I will spend it however the f I want.
0: yeah, yeah, Dana. I mean, that
1: that is like that is that is classic Dana White right there.
0: Yeah, classic Dana. Shaking my head, Dana. The problem is you don't share the same amount of revenue with the UFC fighters as other sports organizations, and you are giving lots of money to the Nelk boys.
1: Yeah, it's just, that's classic. But uh, UFC 277 on Saturday, uh, I watched the countdown show. Um, I watched the first couple episodes of The Ultimate Fighter, and I know you watched the entire season. I did. One of my perceptions about the episodes I watched, The Ultimate Fire, I felt like the UFC was trying to make Juliana Peña likable. Do you agree with
0: that? Yeah, yeah I, I think there was very few instances where she wasn't likable in the show. Like, I agree with you.
1: My, my thing with her is this narrative that for whatever reason, she believes in her head that the fact that Amanda Nunez was ducking her for all of these years, which I'm just like... Come on, get out of here with this BS. Yeah, she ducked you, so she she took on Ronda Rousey. You wouldn't have done the same damn thing? She ducked you to take a Chris Cyborg fight? You wouldn't have done the same thing? Like, come on, man. It's just like, it's one of these things that I just... I don't understand, like, I'm like, you can't really believe this narrative. There, there, she can't believe this narrative.
0: She might not believe it, believe it, but I think it's kind of like like the last dance Michael Jordan type of thing, where you create the narrative and you use it as motivation, right? Like, Michael Jordan would just make stuff up that people didn't even say and use it as slides to ball on them, and I feel like Juliana's is doing the same thing. Sometimes it slips, like, I watched the uh, first episode of uh, UFC Embedded today, and she kind of talked about her m- trajectory to fighting for the title, and she mentioned, yeah, I got injured a lot, basically. So I think she knows there's a real story about you know what she deserved or who was ducking her or whatever. But I do think she locks in because I feel like Juliana is a type of fighter that really utilizes motivation to work her ass off to go along with you know being a mother. Uh, you know, and, and so I think I think she probably realizes that it's a fake reality she, she's portraying, but she's using it as fuel, bro. But if she needs motivation, all she's got to do is go to bestfightodds.com <laughs> and look at the fact that she's a plus 200 underdog after she kicked Amanda Nunez's ass the last time they fought. That's all the motivation she needs.
1: I don't know what to expect on Saturday night. I really don't. Because, like, you go back and you look at your their first fight, and you say, okay, how much of this was in relation to Amanda coming off COVID? Maybe that's just an excuse. How much of it is Juliana Pena had an A-plus performance, and it was an off night for Amanda Nunez? Or, C, has Amanda Nunez hit the downside of her career?
0: Yeah, it's a tough, it's a tough one to, to grapple with, and I've gone back and forth, as has so many people. On one side, you had such a dominant outing the last time they fought. On the other side, Amanda Nunez is the greatest fighter to ever fight, and is a female fighter. without it. And, and she, she created a gap between herself and Shevchenko. So it's like, damn, who do I go with? Do I go with Mike Tyson after he lost to Buster Douglas? Or is Juliana just better than Amanda now in the year 2022? It's a tough question, man. And I've gone back and forth. What I don't like out of Amanda is the split from American Top Team and creating her own camp. Maybe it's working really well, but it does seem like there's far less resources. Even though she has her own gym and it looks beautiful, it does seem like maybe there's more pressure – excuse me. There's more energy being used by her to create a camp with coaches and fighters that maybe she would have had a better fight camp if she was allowing American Top Team to to do that. Mike Brown – And all those people who have been with her on the ride, I know she's probably rock coach, um, Roger Crawl, right, being one of the main factors. So I'm, I'm a bit worried for her that she's had such a dramatic change in fight camps when she also just has to worry about returning to form after the biggest loss in her career.
1: You know, watching Countdown, a couple of my big takeaways as they were previewing this fight was on the Man Nunez side of Roger Crawl. basically, without saying it says that, you know, proclaiming that Kayla Harrison was jealous of Man Nunez. And there was, you could definitely tell that was kind of part of the narrative they were selling early on was, hey, if, if Amanda would have won the first fight, who knows, maybe they, they do. Kayla ends up in the UFC and, and all that. The other thing that really stuck out to me was the UFC, I thought, did a really good job of selling this narrative of you had a longtime champion, Amanda Nunez, and she had to do so much media, so much media. She was being pulled in, in totally different directions. And then they basically turned to, oh, by the way, Juliana Payne has been having to do a ton of media over the last seven months since she won the title. But like, I, I think it was, it was during the first episode of Embedded when I was watching it. And there was this part of where she's hitting miss with her boxing coach. And of course, you know, you think about their first fight where the thing that shocked you the most was how much Juliana Pena stayed in the pocket with the man Nunez. And I kind of wonder, like if they go in there with the same type of game plan, could that ultimately be why Juliana Pena loses her title on Saturday night?
0: If she stays in the pocket and and it ends. Yeah, I could, I think the standup is going to be closer than it was. The jab that Juliana utilized was such an effective tool, though. It's going to be a difficult thing for Amanda to counteract. It, it, it's, it's a tough one. I've, I've gone back and forth. I think I I don't see a situation where Amanda is able to bring Pena down with the wrestling, obviously, and get on top and, and rain down ground and pound. That's a position where Nunez has done a lot of damage throughout her career. I think the way she ends up on top like that is if she rocks Juliana Pena. I think Juliana Pena stays in the pocket, she's going to put herself in a great position to get rocked. I do think Pena wins this fight, Jason. I think she's approaching this fight. First and foremost, I think Pena's really strong mentally in terms of, like, believing in herself and work ethic. I think because the last fight happened in December 2021, and there's been a lot of times past, the uh, high of being a champion has weared off. And I think Pena has found herself feeling like she's still in the challenger role. And maybe the the normal pratfalls that people do when they win a championship in a surprising fashion and do all the media, maybe that's gone away because of the time that's elapsed. So, man, having rewatched UFC 269, I think Juliana shocks the world a second time.
1: I keep going back and forth on this one. My gut says... Juliana Pena is the right pick. Yeah, but I mean, I just think you can't count out Amanda Nunez. She's
0: the goat. She is the literal goat. I mean, it. Yeah, it's it's a tough pick. There's a reason why Pena is the dog after dominant win, because Nunez looked different. Her state, she looked frazzled. She looked completely taken out of her game, and she didn't adjust. Now Nunez has an opportunity to adjust. But what happens if she gets hit with adversity and she can't adjust again? Very rarely in her career has Amanda performed well after facing adversity. There haven't been that many opportunities when she's faced adversity because she's been a stunner, a great fighter. So, yeah, this is an incredibly tough fight to call.
1: Man, I'm looking at at the prop bets over here uh, on DraftKings Sportsbook. Man, there is some juicy ones. Pena wins inside the distance. Plus four twenty five.
0: I think if Pena wins, she finishes her. I do too. Yeah, I mean, I think this fight's gonna, I think this fight's gonna have a finish, bro. Like either way, because of the way Juliana fights, because Juliana fights in a way where she's incredibly aggressive. Like you are not going to see a point fight. You know, tactical striking, cautious approach. No, bro. Like she, she, she goes for it, and I think that's going to lend either whore, her or Amanda to finish one another.
1: I mean, look, if you want to play a play a crazy prop bet, you live in a state where you can gamble on these fights. Juliana Pena wins round three plus twenty two hundred. How about Amanda Nunez wins round one plus two
0: fifty? Yeah. Put, put like $100 on each, <laughs> and you might you might come out on top either way. I don't know how the math works on that.
1: It's a fascinating matchup, but like, I mean, look, if you tell me Juliana Pena wins on Saturday night, it would not shock me if this is the last time we see a man who is inside the MMA cage. Yeah. She's 35 yeah. years old. She started a family. By the way, why is that only a narrative for female fights and not male fights? Because
0: men are awful parents.
1: I, I was I was I was listening to a podcast, they were talking about, you know, about her starting family and then it just kinda of made me think about like we never hear that when, hey, uh John Smith just had a kid. I don't know, maybe he's gonna retire.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. You uh you hardly hear it. Only if a guy mentions it like in a post fight interview. Like I feel like Bisping might have mentioned it when he was retiring. Could be wrong about that one. But you're totally right. That's a definitely that's a real sexist thing that we do. But, God, I forget.
1: Yeah. God, I mean, I, I forget who I was talking to, and they were, they were talking about that. Just oh, it was uh, I interviewed uh, Terry on Ware, the UFC vet. He's um, he's got a fight coming up here. Uh, gets out Morales uh, in California, and he was talking because I, I saw on his Instagram that he was talking about you know Father's Day, and and he talked about it. he's like he's like man, he goes as an athlete, he goes, you can miss a lot of things with your kids, and he's like it's one of the things I've realized like. I just have to make sure he goes. No matter what's going on, if my kids have something going on, I'm there for my kids. He goes. If I have to, you know, delay a training session, I'm going to delay a training session.
0: Dude, you know who retired? Uh, Henry Cejudo retired because he's going to be a father.
1: Oh yeah, that, that's that's a good one. Yeah, yeah. I totally no, forgot about that.
0: Granted, he's coming back. Or or he
1: retired because he wanted more money. But
0: yeah, that's probably what it was. But that's what he said. But, yeah, that's good by Tarion Warren. You know, Tarion isn't like one of those guys who's, you know, he, he doesn't have F you money. They can just say, I've made my money. I'm retiring. <laughs> you know, yeah. going to go to everything. Right. But look at look at, look at at your man, Tom. man. he's like, I'm going to retire. I'm going to hang out with my kids. And he's like, no, this is boring as hell. Time to go win another Super Bowl.
1: I remember seeing a meme that was like after he came back, it was like, F them kids.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I can't tell. I was watching it embedded. Does Brandon Moreno have like three children? I feel like he might. I was watching it embedded. I don't know if it was like his children or maybe one of them was like, uh, you know, an aunt or an uncle. I, I know
1: they they profiled his daughter.
0: Yeah. There, there were three girls playing in like a little trampoline as he was making breakfast. And I was like, Jesus, Brandon is just he's a parent over here, parent of the year.
1: The interesting part about that one is, I mean, and obviously these two guys have already fought each other in Bram Moreno and Kai Carr of France. Uh, the first fight was an excellent fight. Kai Carr of France got off to a great start in the first round and then Moreno took uh, the second and third round. And, and obviously the, the narrative around, around Bram Moreno leading into this matchup is he has made a lot of changes in terms of his training. He left his longtime team. He's now training under James Krauss at Glory MMA and Fitness. And for people who have not seen the Countdown show, it, the Countdown show really was went into kind of James Krause's mindset. Now James Krause, he is 0-2 as a coach in UFC title match. I believe that's the correct record uh, with Tim Elliott and, and Megan Anderson. But one of the things I thought was really interesting, he talked about he says, you know, and he kind of he, he correlated this to football. He goes, he's like, you know, I don't look at at, as a coach is looking at what's happening in the half or what happens in the quarters. He's like, I'm looking at each individual play and how we get better. I mean, look, it's it's one of these things of, Kaikar France has looked absolutely amazing, but it, it, I think there's a little bit of unknowns of how much changes that James Krause can make with Bram Moreno. One of the things that I think with Bram Moreno that sticks out to me is just these these kind of like, these moments in a fight where it's like, hey man, put the hands up. Don't, don't let your face become an everlasting punching bag.
0: Yeah. And Kai France is not someone you want to be a punching bag for. I mean, he's he's one of the most impressive strikers in this weight class. Yeah. Bar none. You know. He uh he's got the advantage on the feet in this fight. He's gonna hit he's gonna hit Brandon Moreno in the face a lot. Um the the thing is in those moments of absolute insanity, Brandon Moreno thrives in those moments, in those wars in the ability to take a loser a round and come back in two and three or three, four and five and, and win a fight. Uh, I'm biased. I'm Hispanic. Brandon Moreno is one of like the few fighters I've ever interviewed. I'm biased. I'm rooting for this guy. Uh, But yeah. You know
1: Anyone who's ever talked to Brandon Moreno, how, how do you not like it? Like his personality?
0: Yeah. Super biased. But in terms of this fight, I think Kai is the better striker,
1: bro. That is the hardest thing for me covering the sport yeah. is not being biased for you know fighters i talk to and you just have dope conversations with them
0: yeah the the trick is being ariel hawani you just interview everybody so you can't be biased <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna talk to all of them uh but yeah and, and you're working your wages i mean every single week especially on the weekend drop of the podcast you have so many great interviews you had terrence mckinney on this past weekend and uh hard rec- big recommendations it's a you know on the weekend, the thing to get you through the weekend is the MA report with you interviewing guys and, and whatnot. But yeah, man, uh grappling, I like Moreno and the grappling exchanges between these two. I don't think he's gonna like I don't think this fight's gonna go to the ground though, other than like in scrambles, I guess. It's, it's gonna be a close one, man. I'm going Moreno to retain, but this is the first time he's fought someone that wasn't named Davison Figueredo in two years.
1: Yeah, I think Davison Figueredo has learned the hard side of the business side of the UFC. Yeah. They will move on past you, bro. They don't mm-hmm. care.
0: What do you think about? I, was, I listened to Maka, Muhammad Makaya's interview on Ariel, and Ariel asked him, "When you do fight for the title, who's going to be the champion?" And he said, "Askar Askarov." What do you think about that? Two years from now, I can see it. Yeah, I can see it too. So it's I a mean, As-
1: Askar just finds himself in, in such close fights, though.
0: <sighs> he does. He does. I mean, that fight against Kar France is a very close fight. Yeah. Yeah.
1: By the way, one of our favorite guys on this card, Derek Lewis, taking on Sergei Uh Sergey Pavlich, you know, he has never attempted a – he's never gotten a fight to the ground inside the UFC. So uh, this is a fight that you probably expect is going to stay on the feet. Uh, with Derek Lewis, he's one of these guys that you just never know what to expect from him because, I mean, he can literally knock anybody out any moment. But also, like, you never know if he's healthy going into a fight.
0: Yeah, man, that's true. He's, he's very polarizing in terms of output. You never know if the fight's going to be shit because it's boring or if the fight's going to have the opponent shit his pants because he knocked him out. (laughs) You know Poop's going to be involved, though, when it comes to Derrick Lewis. Uh, Yeah, bro, this is either going to be a badass knockout of the night, performance of the night, great first round, or it's going to be a boring three-round striking affair, but I think it's going to be entertaining. I'm excited for this one. Uh, I think Pavlovich is going to win this one, though. I, I think he's 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 the better uh, technical striker, but but Derek technique kind of goes out the window. He hits like a Mack truck.
1: Yeah, I mean the, the, you know Derek Lewis is always a guy that I love watching fight. Uh, you, you speak about that flyweight division. You also got Pantoja taking on Alex Perez. Alex Perez fights for the first time since. December, or November 21st, 2020, when he lost to Diverson Figueredo uh, for the lightweight title. He's had a couple of canceled matchups here. And of course, Pantoja, that that's a big one. Uh, the opening fight of the main card, huge ramifications there of Muhammad and Kalev taking on Anthony Smith. <laughs> Anyone who's listening to Anthony Smith on his podcast with Michael Bisming will know. He's taken a lot of offense to being over a four to one betting underdog in this one. He's, he's not been a big fan of that one, but man, ankle live man, he he's such legit, it, you know, it wouldn't shock me if, if ankle live wins, if this, if this is the last time we see Anthony Smith, it went, cause like he has set himself up for life after fighting.
0: Dude. Yeah. He's a phenomenal broadcaster, great podcast host, great interview, great personality, talented fighter. Could he pull off the upset? Maybe. Um, he could, but, you know, when you look at the last three wins for Ankalaev, the quality of opponent is just much higher than Anthony's last three wins. The difference in these two is the stand-up between these two. In a three-round fight, I think is going to have success there. You know, maybe Anthony Smith wrestles his way to a victory. It's possible. Um, he, he's a live dog in here. I, I think the odds are too high in Ankalaev's favor. Yeah. But I'm still picking on Kaleev here. But I would put money on uh, on Smith in this fight. And, and, and by the way, um, that flyweight matchup you mentioned, it's a hell of a freaking main card if you're a hardcore mixed martial arts fan. Paris Panatoja is great. When you talk about who could be flyweight champion in two years, both those guys could absolutely be champion. It's a hell of a flyweight fight. man. I, I love this main card.
1: Yeah, look, I I think uh, it's another solid main card that we have on on pay-per-view. You you look at the preliminary card, you know, on paper, not a ton to me sticks out to me, Daniel. Mm -hmm.
0: I agree with you. I I think this preliminary card's a bit of a Debbie Downer.
1: You don't like, Uh, you don't to me, like, I mean, Morono to me is always a fun guy. Drew Dover's always a guy that I like watching fight. But, like, there's not like that that one fight that sticks out to you prelims. You're like, oh, man, that is the one that gets me super pumped.
0: Yeah, bro. Honestly, the fight that I'm looking forward to the most on the prelims is probably Rafa Garcia and Jakar Close. Uh, I think that one's just going to be entertaining. I think everything on the prelims, like the four fights in between the early prelims and the main card, those fights are set up to be entertaining fights in terms of how these guys fight. These are pretty active fighters. So I think overall it's going to be a good TV experience. But, yeah, nothing's really getting me there. You know, Michael Morales, Adam Fu gets a good boy fight, though. I will say that one I'm looking forward to. I, I think Morales is a really talented fighter.
1: As we start to wrap up this edition of, of the podcast, uh, two other things to note here. Oh, I, uh, want to,
0: I want to note one thing to you. What's that? I just thought it. I thought it was on the way here. It's completely random. All right. I was thinking about this because I, I read about that. Uh, there was this kickboxing fight that sold out the Tokyo Dome between tension and somebody else. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about Japan and everything. It's amazing to me. That there is not a single fighter from Japan that isn't one that is in the UFC rankings. How crazy is that? Not a single fighter from Japan. You think about the history of Japan and mixed martial arts and the sport. You know, you, and there are plenty of Asian fighters that are represented, but not a single Japanese fighter in the rankings. I just wanted to mention that. Kind of crazy.
1: Is that maybe maybe the UFC's got to look at themselves in the mirror and say we're not scouting that that country very well.
0: I think it's it's a combination of that, and I think they're not willing to outbid promotions like Ryzen, and maybe yeah. even one FC for Japanese talent. If I had to guess, No. Um, yeah, that that has to be my biggest guess. But it's it's really shocking, you know. We have a Ryzen event this weekend, and just thinking about Japanese MMA and 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 how it's just completely intertwined with the UFC. So many great Japanese fighters. I'm like, damn. Even in the women's division, you know, you know, one of the first great female fighters megumi fuji yeah you know it, it's just that was surprising to me because i was i was thinking about that because i was thinking about the london card i'm like it'd be great to get the ufc in, in japan once again uh i know in september it's going to be more normalized for people to make noise in crowds people do it already for mixed martial arts and sporting events uh they don't do it for professional wrestling events but yeah i was just thinking about that but anyway, side digress
1: by the way i don't know if you saw this cub swanson's moving down the bantamweight interesting I guess he's he's going to have a lot of
0: power at 135, but I don't necessarily think it's going to be a solution to his
1: problems. It's one of those things that when you see a guy later in his career drop down, I always, th- I, I always just go, I don't know if that's the right move.
0: Yeah, whether it be him or Misha Tate, doesn't really seem like the right move, but yeah.
1: Also, the mention about the annual ABC meeting has been taking place over the past couple of days, and a couple of interesting things that have come out of there is potential rule change. There's actually going to be voting on these on Wednesday, is allowing fighters five minutes to recover from IPOC. I absolutely love that that potential rule change. Uh, there's also uh, on uh, yesterday there on um, on Monday, excuse me, they were talking about uh, allowing uh, knee sleeves and ankle sleeves. And what I thought it was a really interesting. Uh, I was watching it, it was uh, being streamed on YouTube. And Andy Foster is talking about it. And he brought up the Francis Nganu and Surreal Gone situation from earlier this year. And he said it literally happens 30 minutes before Inganu is going to make the walk that he's learned that Nganu wants to wear knee sleeves which I thought was absolutely crazy. And he's like, he's talking about the fact he's like, I've got a pay-per-view main event that's going to walk in 30 minutes and I'm having to decide whether I'm going to okay it. There was another commissioner that he was kind of uh, in a way alluding to maybe why to not allow this to happen. And part of what he was saying is, could it give an advantage to a grappler over a striker? Say the striker is wearing those sleeves and, the grappler uses it as advanced to keep the fight on the, on the ground, as opposed to getting on the feet. I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, also, they put out this chart that is about trying to make MMA judging, um, I guess, more understandable. The, 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 one part of this chart that me stuck out the most is the fact of 95% of all rounds will be scored 10, nine.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it, 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 it's uh it was a really informative chart and, Really well done. A lot of words on there. I felt like the um, the most important thing to take away from what they're trying to communicate is this. Is that we accept that MMA bouts shall be sc- sc- scored based on a evaluation of fighters, effective striking, effective aggressiveness, cage and ring control. And it's one of those things where one fighter de- – if one fighter demonstrates an advantage in effective striking or grappling, that's it. That's the winner of your fight. You don't care about – cage control and aggressiveness isn't taken into consideration if one fighter demonstrates an advantage in effective striking and grappling that's a wrap it's a very important thing to learn when we talk about judging and then once it goes down if it then it becomes if a fighter uh gets an advantage in effective aggressiveness you don't take cage or ring control into account then you take cage or ring control if it's You can't have an advantage. So I think that's a very important thing when we talk about rounds where a guy lands better shots, really effective strikes for a couple flurries, but he gets put on his back. But the guy on top doesn't do anything for three and a half minutes. That round's going to go to the guy who clearly had the better effective striking if the guy on top didn't do effective grappling.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, it's. I think what this ultimately shows is and I think it's should show to everyone in the mixed martial arts community is that the executive directors of these commissions, they're constantly wanting to evolve our sport. They're wanting to and they want people to be able to understand where things are going in the sport. I mean, to me, that is like my biggest takeaway from it. Uh, also, on Monday, open scoring was a topic of conversation. And uh, Dean Thomas, of course, works on the UFC broadcast. He was there. He was talking about why he is in favor of open scoring. And look, I think that we all understand aspects of why, from a fighter perspective, of why open scoring is something that is going to be something that people are going to want. One of the things I've really, you know, and one thing that I will tell you that I was told is that, look, there's nothing's really changing on open scoring in terms of, of regulatory committees at this point. It's just, it's an open dialogue at this point. You know, Kansas obviously is doing it and uh, Colorado is doing it, but people should not automatically expect that you're going to see open scoring happen, um, you know, in, in other jurisdictions. And, you know, I saw, I saw this on Twitter and one of the things of, I feel like people who who have the narrative of open scoring needs to happen, open scoring needs to happen, they don't look at the bigger picture. And I ended up responding to Eric McCracken of Combat Sports Law. And uh, he has said, he goes, there's a lot of opinions on what open scoring will do. Now there's data of what is actually does. good to follow the data in terms of opinions. 79.4% of fighters want open scoring. That should, there should matter. And I responded with, "I go. I take you're aware of Mark Ratner's on the record of being against open scoring." And he goes, "Yes, but for reasons that data seems to contradict, and likely drama involved is not a real objection to open scoring. That's basically a fan opinion." And then I kind of, you know, said, first off, you, you need to put yourself into the side of the promoter's shoes." And when I when I see people have this open scoring debate on, on Twitter, Daniel, I just think they're not realistic. If Mark Ratner, Dana White, and Hunter Campbell are not for open scoring, we're never going to see open scoring in the UFC. We got to be realistic as fight fans with this. Yeah,
0: yeah, that, and that's the most important thing when it comes to those are the decision makers and the power players. You know, but you know, it, it's a debate that we'll continue to have, and I, I've gone back and forth on this one. Um but yeah, I, I think it's gonna be a changing of the guard atop the UFC would create maybe an opening for open scoring, but clearly that's not something that Mark Ratner, Dana and Hunter are are looking to add, looking to change. And until that's the case, I, I don't think there's a shot that this is a major widespread thing in major mixed martial arts.
1: I mean look, if a fighter took over as president of the UFC, okay. Then I can see where maybe you see a little bit of change, but I don't expect change to happen anytime in the near future. I mean, look, you're going to see smaller shows that are going to run open scoring when they go to places like Kansas, Colorado. Combate Global is doing it. One of the things of after the Bellator fights are over, I turned over to Paramount Plus on Friday night. I watched a little bit of the Combate Day show. The thing I thought was interesting, um, I, really, I really wasn't listening to commentary, but I noticed when they put up the scores for open scoring, they didn't list the judge's name. It said judge one, judge two, judge three.
0: Yeah, that's funny. I I think that's probably what you should do. But, you know, when you talk about Uh, drama.
1: one, One of the downsides I've heard of open scoring is what happened. Corner A is pissed off with how John Smith scored a fight. And what if they go confront John Smith during the fight?
0: Yeah, exactly. That's a good one. You know, the the other but, thing
1: I look at this and, and look this completely comes from a someone who works behind the scenes on a play by play broadcast. There's a financial component of this. You know, every time you hear John Ankeri, this you know judge's decision brought to you by. There's money behind that.
0: Yeah, there's absolutely money behind that. But again, it's it's something where the result doesn't have to be known because it could be in play after the first two rounds or the mm-hmm. first four. So it's not like we're going to do away with that But even with open scoring I guarantee you they'll still sell an ad And it'll still be oh, yes. yeah. You, so, know, you yeah. know
1: how us broadcasters work We can sell an ad, we're selling an ad
0: Yeah, you know, like WWE Vince man stepped down this past week And uh, Triple H is in charge Of creative now And uh, there was a Because right now Monday Night Raw is three hours But a lot of people wanted to go back to two because It's just too much And Triple H is on camera f- seven years ago saying that he would want it to go back to two hours, but that is 19 minutes of commercials that they will not give up 19 minutes of money and advertising reigns supreme. So I do not anticipate Monday Night Raw will move down to two hours.
1: Well, you probably think on the on the USA side of the equation, how much money they're paying the WWE to be able to broadcast that with what they're selling in commercial inventory. They probably don't want to reduce it in an hour.
0: Absolutely. The viewership numbers are something they would replace that hour block of wrestling with is probably much less, and, and the money bringing in it is much less. And, you know, one hour each week for 52 weeks, that's a lot of money.
1: Yeah, and, and I'm sure there's probably also a lot of talent in the WWE roster that may not want to see one hour go away from television because then I, that's going to take away opportunities.
0: Yeah, it's a stacked roster. It really is. As, as a viewer, I, I dislike three hours just because it was a big turnoff for me. Um, it was an oversaturation of the product. I could do two hours every Monday, but three hours I stopped watching regularly. So, But, yeah, for the talent, and it's something that's a, an extra hour opportunity, and that's a stacked roster. You know, now with the Valerie Laredo
1: aboard, I saw she uh, made her debut um, at the house show in um, Cocoa Beach. I want to say. Oh, I didn't even see that. Wow. Yeah, I saw. I really saw that on. Um, I want to say I saw it on Twitter today.
0: Oh, good for her. Good for her.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's I'm why about, I was saying yeah. it makes you wonder of, of you know how long will it be until you see her on there. Oh, I think the other interesting thing with going to WWE, the fact that they're now uh, they've they've gone back to the TV fourteen rating.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be a very interesting time in professional wrestling. I mean, Vince McMahon's been pulling the strings since the 80s, 1980s. Four decades. Four decades of his influence on the, the biggest professional wrestling company in the world. And now, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he still communicates Triple H and Stephanie McMahon and uh, Nick Khan. But uh, it's going to be very interesting. I'm excited to see the product moving forward. And uh, Yeah.
1: I saw someone put up a meme like within hours of him retiring uh, yeah. and they created a Photoshop and said, Vince McMahon
0: is all elite. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see. I, I feel like with that story, something big is going to drop in the future. I know real sports is working on a story on it. And I think there must've been something, I mean, already there was enough for him to step down, but I get the feeling this story is not over. That oh no,
1: no, no. Yeah. No, there's, you know, yeah. You would just love to know kind of uh, the source of all leaks. That, to me, would be the interesting part.
0: Yeah, yeah. I wonder if it's Nick Khan, who is the guy who got aboard WWE, you know, two years ago and now finds himself as the co-CEO
1: you, you of know, the promotion. You know what the other thing I thought of? What's that? True, false. If the WWE sells... The new owner of WWE is Endeavor. Oof.
0: I mean, if I was Endeavor, I would want to buy the WWE. That's a, that's a, when you look at all the properties they own. That would join the UFC among really valuable prop. It's a company company, makes profit, yeah, a big profit. So, true or false? I'm gonna say false, only because I think another company will outbid Endeavor for the WWE. You know, that's a hot property that I think a lot of people want. But uh, they certainly in play. I mean, that fits within their portfolio of companies they own.
1: By the way, uh, we'll wrap up here. A ton of regional MMA on UFC Fight Pass on Friday, Titan FC 78, uh, UWC 36, which is a Mexican promotion, Cage Fury 111, FAC 15, that's James Krause's promotion, also LFA 137, LFA 137, Jacob Rosales, uh, of course, following the Contender Series last year, he's a part of that card. Uh, I had a chance to catch up with him. You can check that interview over at the MMAReport.com. FAC 15, Mikey England in the main event, someone to pay attention to there. Uh, Titan FC, Alex Nicholson. You know, of course, you'll remember that name. He's fighting for the heavyweight title there. They're doing a show. Uh, I want to say it's in Dominican Republic at Titan Cards. It's a co-promotion event they're doing down there. So uh, plenty of MMA taking on Friday night. If you're sitting home on Friday night, want to watch the little... Mixed martial arts, of course, on Saturday, you got UFC 277. Daniel, anything you want to mention before we get out of here?
0: All I got to say is Taruto got a knockout last week. Good deal, Taruto.
1: Yeah, first time Weston Wilson's been knocked out in his career. I saw I saw Weston yeah. put that on his Facebook.
0: Yeah, bro. it's a, Yeah, man, a lot of stuff. But I'm excited for this weekend, bro, and uh, good catching up with you. Thank you for everyone that's listening. And we're going to kill it next week talking about uh, what the hell happened at UFC 277.
1: Of course a uh, great way to show your support for the podcast leave that rating and review whether you listen to us on apple Podcasts or spotify of course put clips of, up over on the amiraport youtube channel of course you subscribe to that that uh, does help us out a lot as well but that's going to do it for this edition of the amiraport podcast which comes out two times a week on wednesday and on sunday on your favorite podcasting platform and radioinfluence.com.